You're listening to the Harmonica Brothers Variety Show. I'm Sam. Matt. And Kyam. We're putting out episodes, like, like every week now. How about that? You know, Efficiency. These episodes are going to get progressively shorter because we're going to only talk about our topic, which is probably ideal. It will make it easier to edit, certainly. Yeah, this is um, true. And it'll probably go down easier for the listeners. For sure, for sure. I think, like, when you when you think about, like, uh, those monster-long podcasts that there are, you know, like, when there's, like, these monster, like, three-hour podcasts uh, that can exist. And then you have ones that are, like, episodes are, like, 20, 25 minutes long. That feels too short. I think, yeah. you know, like, we're in, like, a cool, like, 55 to 85, 95-minute space. You know, like, let's just under an hour to just over an hour and a half. Because I think we have we're gonna have a couple like two hour episodes, but you know I think that you, I think you know what let's yeah because it's like okay a good podcast should last a good commute, but nobody's going anywhere, so it's kind of <laughs> hard to measure these things now. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> like unless you know, people aren't driving around anymore, are they? No, like to go where? <laughs> yeah, I, I see cars on the road. People are going. People are going places. Yeah, those are I just every, DoorDash drivers. I know, but like when Family Day hit uh, last weekend, uh, like people were going up to the cottage. People were going to probably going to be having barbecues in like parts of northern Ontario uh, or north of like the GTA, I should say, where restrictions were more lax. And just like, what are you doing? Like, this is why our Ontario's numbers suck. Yeah. 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 We yeah. have been sucking, but. While that's been happening, I'm still watching Vinland Saga, and I'm still loving it. Just to remind the viewers again what Vinland Saga is? it It's an anime. You Why, why did you say it like that? You made it sound like you're ashamed that you're watching it. I, I am ashamed, because anime be ashamed. is... ashamed? It's just... It's so... They're not... It's not being... one of the. Well, there's one person, like this nobleman from Normandy... Looks like a frog. But other than that, they all look like normal people. Okay. So let's let's ask the question the viewers are really dying to hear about your anime experience. Hmm. How much are you enjoying your anime pillow now that you are one of us? Jesus. Kidding. <laughs> a waifu pillow? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I do not have a waifu pillow. Like um, the whole the whole we the whole weeaboo, weeaboo, however you pronounce it, like zeitgeist is so funny to me because you got guys who are like yeah i like japanese culture i don't not just because of anime it's like oh how'd you learn about japanese culture anime but then you have guys like like kai who are so totally like self-aware weaves you know but like they're 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 not so crazy but it's still like you're in your own little world if when you when you watch a lot of anime when you are a weeb I think the big distinction is people who who know that anime uh, Japan is very different than real life Japan, and they can make those distinctions. Um, so how about that that entertainment news, Matt? I know you had a thing for Gina Carano. A lot of us did. How you how you taking the news, buddy? Um, I'm I'm indifferent because I didn't really care about the character of Cara Dune. So I don't really think it's going to be, um, I don't think it's going to leave a big hole in the, in, in the show or, or the universe. I think, yeah. I, I think there was a niche she was filling like 
I think I talked about it even before, like she was kicked. She, the the mouse the that the mouse house got to her. Like she's not a phenomenal performer, and I think she's become a much better actor mm. from like her her bigger major roles. Like over the years, like I think the big one was she was in Fast and Furious uh, five or no yes five or six, and she was like the rocks like um like sidekick and she's very good in that but like the movie the sorry the mandalorian the movies the mandalorian uh was becoming a different show and that so she probably wasn't going to be in the next season anyway i think we established that i think she like, would have probably been in rangers of the new republic yeah that's what i've heard as well but if they can if you're if you're helming a new show that is very much like a cops on the edge of the on the edge of the civilization in space i'm i'm i am it's hard for me to uh come to the point where i sort of accept that gina carano is the biggest name they're going to get for that oh yeah. like they were going to cast probably like two like uh, if not two or more like i'd say bigger name actors right or who yeah. who, don't, who who maybe want to sort of break into something with wider acclaim wider appeal right i got a question for you guys considering how social media is killing off a lot of uh careers right, because so. people don't know how to keep their mouths shut about their nazi opinions do you think that what do you think is better or is it going to be a case by case kill off the character or recast well oh you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna actually take this one because I'm, I recently finished watching the for the fifth season of The Expanse. It's a phenomenal show. Yeah, it is I've heard. the it is the most accurate science fiction I have ever seen. Yeah, I've heard that too. Right, it's so good. That sounds horrifying. Season, in in uh, July, when they were filming the current season, uh, sexual assault allegations came out about one of the characters, one of the actors, I should say, characters, uh, a Canadian actor named Cass Anvar, um, who played Alex Kamal on the show. Um, he was like the pilot, uh, a, Mar a, form a Martian of South Asian descent, good character. And I didn't know about the allegations. So at the end of the season finale, he is unceremoniously killed off. Mm. They've talked, they talk about what kills him in the show a lot. Like it is a, it is a very grave risk. Whenever you burn, whenever you go super, super fast, you have to take these drugs that prevent you from dying and having a, or having a seizure and dying. But it's always a risk, even with these drugs that you can have a seizure and die when you burn and that's what happened to him but it was so sudden i'm trying to snap my fingers but that didn't work uh it was so sudden that i was like what the fuck they just killed him off so i being in the age that we are in i went to his wikipedia page and it was right he's not he's not got a big wikipedia page it's like expanse interview information of why he likes he likes working on the expanse and then abuse allegations and so it hasn't been talked about if uh, that's why he was killed off. Um, but like with the Gina Carano situation, I don't think that there's not the same thing. I'm not going to equate sexual assault allegations with voicing your far right opinions. They're different. They're bad things, but they're different things. Uh, but in the same way, I think killing off the character is a cleaner way of doing it. It's better that way because now you with a show like 
The Mandalorian, where the last where season two really built out the universe a lot. It built out the setting of this story. And the expanse has been doing that every successive season. The world gets like the setting gets bigger, right? Uh, there are characters now in the expanse who can fill that role that Cass Anvar's Alex Kamal fills. And there are people in Rangers of the New Republic that can, or sorry, in The Mandalorian that can fill that Cara Dune role who brought sort of some sort of loyal to the rebellion, but maybe not to the Republic sort of uh, uh, like perspective. Uh, based on what, what Sam just mentioned, um, do you think that, considering what uh, what Sam just said about uh, the character being killed off, he's not killed off in the source material. No, uh, he's so not. He's not. So I so with that in consideration, Matt, kill off or recast? I mean, to me, I think it's it would be better to either kill her off or I think what's more likely to happen is they're just going to say she went off to attend to some business that she had or, you know, maybe they, um, they, they gave her a commission to go monitor another part of the galaxy and she's just kind of written out of the show instead of killed off. I would prefer either one of those two recasting. I don't believe she's important enough that you need to recast. I think that would just it would just kind of seem weird to have somebody else playing this character. And there's really no reason for it because I think as, as Sam uh, said, there isn't anything that she, that her character brings to the universe that another character can't easily bring. It's not like we need to find a way to, it, you know, it, this isn't Obi-Wan Kenobi. This isn't like a central character. You can easily have somebody else who even survived Alderaan as well, mm -hmm. like Ara Dune did and just insert that person into the show. And then, just have Cara Dune written out. I don't really think it's it's necessary to recast her. I do think that there is something to be said for maybe finding a new character or like you could essentially build a new character from the ground up who yeah. is essentially like Cara Dune with the, with the serial number filed off, right? Maybe not the Alderaan stuff because that's a little too on the nose, but like how many MMA or former UFC people want to transition into uh, a role and you know you could have them be like the deuteragonist's bodyguard in uh or the secondary protagonist bodyguard in rangers of the new republic right and you bring in someone who you think has a future in doing this like i keep fucking forgetting her name and i'm kicking myself for it but the actor it's natasha something i want to say who is playing uh like bo katan's like partner, partner in crime. Oh, right. She's from the she's WWE. A, she's, a, she's from the WWE. And hey, Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks. Thank you. Um, Sasha Banks. And she, her character, I think has really shine. Sean. Sean. Sean? Shine? Sean. Uh, English <laughs> is silly. Over English is silly. Over the course of the season. And by the end, she was right there in the room alongside Fennec Shan, Bo-Katan, and motherfucking Luke Skywalker. And so I think that'll help. That'll sort of, there's nothing stopping them from just bringing in a character like that in from episode one of Rangers of the New Republic or casting, making doing going, coming out of the left field. And it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual spinoff, but there's going to be no overlapping characters between Rangers and the Mandalorian. Now here's the challenge, the business side of it. What are they going to do with all that Cara Dune merchandise? Like, can they just like, like, honestly, I, I was, I think Lucy Lawless would be a great replacement. Uh, uh, 
it would be great to see her in, in a, a kick-ass role like this again. Um, she schooled Kevin Sorbo online. That was beautiful. Uh, called him Peanut. So I think I, and I think from a business side point of view, the character, an established character that has merch is more likely to be um, uh, recast for the duration of that merchandise than, than uh, written off the show. But but how could how would recasting help with the merchandise sales? Because it, who, unless you're going to find somebody who looks a lot like Bingo, Gina Carano, Funko Pops can be pretty generic looking. <laughs> well, I was thinking more like the action figures, which I, I think um, I, I think I think there were going to be one or two action figures. But I, I think it would be unfortunate if they um, limit themselves and their options just because they have this you know merchandise to to consider. Um, and, but per, honestly, going forward, I think if they were going to make a new character, I would rather see either either Bill Burr or a Bill Burr-like character, somebody who was on the Imperial side and Ooh. is now hunting Imperials. I think that's a little better than, oh, yeah, this is another, you know, ex-Rebellion um, uh, soldier. Uh, I, I would go in the other direction. But fire yeah. take, Matt. Fire take. <laughs> like I, I, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm gonna agree with Matt because, like Disney isn't Disney Plus isn't profitable because of the fact that they can sell, WandaVision and Mandalorian like action figures. It's profitable because it costs X number million, hundred million people, ten or like nine ninety nine, ten ninety nine a month. Uh, so I don't think merchandise will happen to what happened to the to copies of the et game they'll get thrown they'll get thrown away or incinerated like didn't they the find a whole la- like there, there, there was a, a particular like um pile of old et games that they found buried in a yeah. infill or something that's my point like they're yeah. gonna they're gonna destroy it and like knowing disney there's a chance they might just create their own um unreleased black market for hardcore star wars collectors and just release all of these like you know there's like maybe there's a thousand of these figures left how rabid would the fans get in bidding wars on unreleased star wars official star wars merch i think like stuff like that uh is really not but things like that don't really enter the zeitgeist of like of mainstream like nerd culture like i think once i heard a story of like someone new Leonard Nimoy's barber from the original from the uh, from the uh, original pilot for Star for Star Trek the original series, and she had on a whim saved or like not thrown the hair away from that haircut, and so like someone bid like a ridiculous amount of dollar on a lock of Leonard Nimoy's hair. This sounds like an episode of Big Bang Theory. It really does, doesn't it? Gross. <laughs> well, like. I think like but like shit like that is sort of sort of the reason that nerd that's like so that's hardcore. Like yeah. you know, that's your yeah, no. I don't I don't think merch is really gonna define a character. I think like a, I think Lucy Lawless being cast period in like a role like would be awesome. I'd also love to see like a um maybe they won't because we're gonna get the Rogue Squadron movie, but I would love to see like a like a a, a former like X-Wing pilot. But like someone not like a Luke, someone who's more like a Wedge, who's like now he's being put into like a leadership role and Papa. he's being, he's he's given command of the Rangers, 
What'd you say? Appa, Appa from Kim, uh, from Kim's Convenience. He was a pilot. Oh. He should he should get it. Love him. Love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he uh, good good performer, Canadian actor. We love our Canadian representation. Um, I think like additional characters like that would sort of sing because mm. that's probably after like Luke, Leia, and Han. The best part of Legends is like the Adventures of Wedge and Rogue Squadron after the after the original trilogy, like. The, like what Wedge get up, gets up to, and there's like it's like Cold War subterfuge mixed with like fight with like uh, not fighter pilot, but like I'd say almost a Top Gun level of just like camaraderie with your bros, and yo like top, the sort of Star Wars Top Gun is a that's a stellar idea, dude. No pun intended. But it's happened. It's happened with the X-wing books and Legends. Once again, Legends is give it is they're going to be taken from Legends for the next fifty years, guaranteed. Uh, but I think like that's what the Rogue Squadron movie is probably going to be. It's not going to be like Top Gun in the goofy sense. It's going to be a really good fighter pilot movie that happens to take place in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, but no, I think like a character like Cara Dune is absolutely re replaceable. Uh, I think it's a disappointment because we really didn't get. There, the, the story for the character for Cardoon is definitely unfinished, mm. but we weren't all we weren't given enough of those like tastes and like hints over what we've already over the first two scenes of the Mandalorian. So I'm not really convinced that they're gonna lean into like hanging onto the character somehow. I, I think because we didn't get a lot of those hints, we're not really that at least in my opinion, I don't really feel that I'm, I'm that interested in, in knowing anything more about her past. I don't feel like I need to know anything more about her past. She was a shock trooper for the rebellion. She survived Alderaan. That's, that's good enough. I don't, I don't, I'm not sitting here wishing I could get more to that story. It would have been, it could have been very interesting. It could have been very well done, but I don't really think there's any threads that need to be picked up on. I think at this point you're better to just come up with a, a, a new character. So are you guys looking forward to a single character focused show or are you looking uh, forward to more of an ensemble based show? Rangers of the New Republic, I don't believe is going to be focused on a single character. That's going mm. to be an ensemble. Ahsoka is going to be the show that's focused on a single character. Yeah. Okay. Obi oh, even Obi-Wan isn't going to be that. It's going to be a, I, th I still argue it's going to be a cat and mouse like chess game between Obi-Wan and like Anakin with the first wave of inquisitors, you know, mm. like, cause something legends legends did was they established that there were multiple waves of inquisitors, right? I don't know how I feel about more inquisitors only because we saw them in rebels. And I think for reasons we're going to discuss in our main topic uh, about kind of branching into new territory um, how, how stories branch into new territories. I'm not sure if if that's what I would want to see. That being said, I still am interested in the idea of a cat and mouse game, at least between Vader himself and Obi-Wan. Though because of what happens in Rebels, I think we'd have to assume that Vader, well, not even what happens in Rebels, what happens um, in A New Hope and the way Vader speaks to Obi-Wan, we can assume that he wouldn't ever actually manage to get Obi-Wan in this series or even... Um, encounter him just because it seems like they haven't seen each other in a very uh -huh. long time. Um, but still, I think, I think Vader trying to find Obi-Wan uh, would be a good way to link their two stories together since we know uh, Hayden Christensen is coming back as Anakin. Yeah. I think like the, the, but to go back to your ensemble and your ensemble versus solo protagonist point, I think like 
season two of the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian season one was undoubtedly like main, main story or like, sorry, main guy, the hero of the story and who interacted with him. And then in essence, he re-interacted with everyone from season one and season two, whether it's the mm. Imperial side with that, that clone doc, that cloner doctor and Bill Burr's character, whether that's Fennec Shan and like some bounty hunter stuff, um, whether that's, and then you have layer in the Mandalorians again, cause you got some Mandalorian stuff, different Mandalorians in season two, but yeah, I think season three is going to sort of continue this, this trend of Mando is the star. Mm -hmm. What with season two, you're getting a lot of like Bo-Katan and um, supporting cast. You know, yeah. Supporting cast. But I think the Raider of the New Republic and like I think the most of the shows are gonna be like the Star Wars shows coming out are gonna be like more ensemble. Like the Acolyte's probably gonna be one guy, one person. Um, like Rangers, uh, the next season of Mandalorian. Ahsoka's gonna be uh like lone lone swordswoman uh traveling across the galaxy. And I think uh How I do you see how do you see Lando shaping up? Oh well, fuck! They're making a Lando show. Well, have they said it's it's live? Are they are they gonna do it and cast Don Glover? They haven't said. What I would actually like to see is I would actually like to see it take place in two periods, so that we can cast you can cast Billy D. Williams and Don. Like, bro, yeah. bro, no, another fire takes. You don't like that idea, Sam? No, I, I'm I'm broing you because it's a good oh, idea. Oh, I thought you said no. No, no I said bro, bro. bro. Like, oh, wow. fuck. <laughs> like, here's the thing. Like, we really didn't, we really didn't get enough Billy D in the, in the Rise of Skywalker. No. Like, it did feel unfinished. Billy D is probably the only character from the originals. We don't know his ultimate fate, right? Same mm. with Chewie, right? Except for that stupid throwaway scene at the end of the third one, or at the end, of, was it was it Rise of Skywalker, The Last Jedi, that throwaway scene where like someone gives Chewie a medal, and I'm Rise like, that was that was just for the fucking Chewie stands who are pissed he didn't get like the real like the he didn't get a medal at the end of A New Hope, like that was gratuitously stupid. So with that being with that in mind, uh, I don't think that, um, or I do think, sorry, that a Lando show would be very good because you're sort of going to get a lot of satisfaction. You know, because like Han, like what's his name, Harrison Ford ended up being able to work on uh, Return of the Jedi. So I'm guessing a lot of Lando stuff that was written then got cut on the cutting room floor. And like Lando's only scenes in Return of the Jedi are the final scene when they're on Endor, and then the scene where he's flying the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, no, he's, he's also on Tatooine when they when they he's on Tatooine with them, but like we don't get like Lando backstory. Right. Yeah, I would love to see him training his new generation of scoundrels and telling them stories of when he was a young man, and then all these flashbacks happen with with uh, Donald Glover. And like he, I, I think about like Billy D. Williams had a role on. Do you, do you guys remember the show White Collar with Matt no. Bomber? I've heard of it, but I never watched it. So it was loosely inspired by. Um, uh, the story that is depicted in Catch Me If You Can with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio mm -hmm. um, about Frank Abagnale Jr. Um, uh, uh, but in that show, Billy D. Williams has a bit part. He's in a couple of episodes throughout the entire series. And he is the, he's an old friend 
of the woman that Matt Bomer lives with. He lives with like a, an old, a woman who's much older than him, but you know, he, he can wear, he can, he fits in all of her husband's little clothes and he's very stylish and cosmopolitan and it sort of fits. And she lives, so he lives in an apartment above her house, but Billy Dee Williams character is an old friend of hers. And he's sort of revealed to be like this. He's like, he was very much like a Matt Bomer's esque character when he was a young man. And you're getting like that, a man of Billy D's age can still be suave and debonair and a scoundrel. He's just not shooting you and like smuggling, but he's doing other things. So I think that's definitely something that Billy D could, uh, could do like really effectively. So oh, I yeah. agree with you. Matt. Um, and I think they did it that way. That's, that's something I would be really interested in. So then what would the Lando stuff focus on? What would, sorry, the Lando stuff, what would the Donald Glover like stuff focus on? Just events in his past, kind of like Kai said. Um, I'd have mm-hmm. to, I'd have to think about it, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of stuff. He, this, this, this guy was a rogue, a scoundrel. He's got to have been up to all sorts of, you know, crazy interests. How do you become? How do you become the head administrator on Bespin in the Cloud and Cloud City? Yeah, I don't think they've said in in any of in the canon. I've in canon in any in any yeah. of the canon books um, I've read. I feel um, like I feel like they're making the Lando show though because. Basically, they thought about doing because I I always wanted I still want a solo sequel, but I don't I think Land there Lando is what that became, or the, uh, was that was I think because I think like a solo sequel would explore a lot of those Lando's things as well. It may end up be like the Adventures of Han Solo and Lando Calrissian is probably what the movie was gonna be. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't know how well that would have fit into canon because I don't know how much time Lando and Han really spent together before Han showed up there on Cloud City in, in Empire. They make it sound like, I mean, really all we know about their interactions prior to Empire, we basically saw in Solo. Um, well, but I always, for me, it always made it seem like there was some, especially after seeing Solo, when I've gone back and I've watched Empire and even some parts of Return of the Jedi it made it seem as if there was like a little more history right uh-huh. so when did, so solo takes place like 14 maybe uh, 4, 10 uh, bby yeah yeah so then uh what's it called happens uh so a new hope happens at 0 yeah bby so there is 10 years of history that i think that they could explore in a, in if they did a solo you know like thing they did a, a solo sequel because to me it feels like there is like a uh, uh, with Solo there, or when you see them interacting in, in Empire, uh, this is again why Empire is the best Star Wars movie, uh, <laughs> it does feel like that there were uh, a few more layers of like betrayals and like counter-betrayals. I mean, I, I would agree that that's possible. I don't, I, I'm not super excited about the prospect of getting much closer to a new hope and still having these other actors playing these characters. I think 10 BBY there's enough time to be like, yeah, I could see them kind of turning into Harrison Ford and Billy D Williams. But if you were to come right up to zero BBY, you'd be like, well, dude, why do these guys look so different in the five minutes before? Han yeah, Solo shows up at that's B- why, that's why you need to re- That's why people need to be okay with recasting roles. Like seriously. Yeah. No, yeah. perfect point. Perfect point. Two char- two different actors have played Howard Stark across his history. Mm-hmm. Granted, there's a there is a 25 year time difference between, right. but like I'm supposed to believe Dominic Cooper became what's his guts from Mad Men? No. Yeah. Like I, 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 I think because of the the 
large gap of time uh, between them, you know, I was okay with that. I guess I'm kind of spoiled, especially in the Star Wars universe, because they've done such a good job with Ewan McGregor, making him seem like a young yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not perfect, but it's a very good job. And I think that's going to continue with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that, you know, not paying that kind of attention to detail when it comes to other characters, I think would make those performances kind of stand out. Because at least for me, I'd always be like, oh, but they did such a good job with Obi-Wan. And here I'm not really, you know, feeling that, you know, the connection between the the two time periods as, as strongly. Um, that being said, I think both... Donald Glover and what, what's what was the Billy name? Of the Williams. No, uh, Alden. Alden oh. Ehrenreich. Er, Alden Ehrenreich. I think uh, they did a really good job, and I think setting it in ten BBY was a good choice because that's still enough time that I can I'm like I can kind of see them turning into those mm-hmm. characters. But yeah, I'm somebody who's not super on board with recasting. I'd, I'd rather it, it it's avoided if possible, just because it kind of takes me out of the universe. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll see what they what they have planned. I wouldn't be surprised if in this Lando series, because like to kind of bridge the gap between what I felt was 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 Han Solo and Lando's kind of unspoken backstory and 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 what Sam was saying, you could have them interact kind of sporadically, like maybe Han appears once in a while, kind of as a guest star, so that mm. you know you're not interacting constantly, but still you're getting to see that there was a little bit more to the relationship. Um, but again, if you're the closer you get to zero BBY, the 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 less interested I am in that. I think a good show would be in that regard. A good show would be um, an exploration of uh, the Star Wars universe underworld, getting to see the huts, getting to see the the Black Sun, getting to see the mafia type stories that are involved there. And, you know, the, the Assassin's Guild and, and whatnot. And I think Lando would be a great, um, a great, uh, what's that word? Uh, focal point for the viewer to sort of experience these things through. Well, wasn't that, wasn't that the original plan? Like before George Lucas sold uh, Lucasfilm, he had a plan for a live action Star Wars series that took place between three and four. And I think part of it might have related to the underworld or, or exploring that kind of um that part of the Star Wars universe. And I know there was also that game, Star Wars 1313, which was supposed to take place on the lower levels of Coruscant, which probably would have also uh, explored that side of things. So yeah, they could, they, uh, they could certainly um, go down that route. Yeah. It was almost, it was, I think it was, it, I, I, I remember it was going to follow either. It was either going to follow Boba Fett or it was going to like follow someone who wanted to be the next Boba Fett, something along those lines. Which uh, one, yeah. the TV series or the video the, game? The TV series, the TV series. Yeah. I haven't read enough about 1313 to really know anything about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the future of Star Wars is, is good. But, you know, Gina Carano not being there is ultimately not a huge loss, right? Yeah. And, like, this was this – and it was only talking about the Holocaust that was the breaking point for Disney. Like, she talked about, yeah. like, parlor, facts don't care about your feelings. She, like, joked about people – she or not joked about she made fun of people who put pro pronouns in their profile right on social media like do it if you want to don't do it if you don't want to you don't have to like make that glaringly obvious that you're being transphobic uh and it was it wasn't any of those things that yeah put disney over the edge um yeah but uh disney disney ain't the best and this is known and i think 
you know, we, so we're, we accept that about Disney. <laughs> Technically, we can accept that about any corporate a corporate uh, entity that is always going to be the bottom line. Um, but I'm glad that they did finally, you know, uh, take a stand. It's better than no stand at all. So uh, after our oddly long Star Wars discussion, uh, we'll be back. We're with... going to trek into our main topic. Go <laughs> fuck yourself. Um, continuing our fan expectations, fan expectations series, we'll be talk- discussing fan expectations in Star Trek. And welcome to the main topic discussion of today's episode. Uh, last week, we discussed fan expectations in Star Wars. This week, we are discussing fan expectations in Star Trek. <laughs> so, um, first thing I want to talk about we, when we talk about like fan expectations, it's not necessarily what we want. Well, it's always what we want. It's like, I was expecting this. No, you wanted this. I'm going to say three things that fans will always expect slash want in, in Star Trek. Good, because I don't really think about it. You can find good things about all Star Trek, or at least I can. You know, everything I've watched, there's good things about all of it. Um, one, techno babble. We got to have some good techno babble. I got to have Jordy explaining what's wrong with the warp drive this time to Worf. Worf is the only one who doesn't understand the warp drive, so him, so Jordy explaining it to him of all people is perfect. Uh, also, sort of sub to that, Worf is the impetus for bad shit. Uh, uh, Kai convinced me of this point. Um, if he's taken down by it, you know it's bad because he's the best fighter on the ship. Two, optimism and the future. We talked about this in a topic that we haven't yet posted, but it's been recorded. So we really, I don't think we'll tread this ground a lot. But uh, it is likely it, it will come up at least in, in yes. what I'm saying. But yeah. Uh, and three, and three, this is sort of tied to that optimism. The best episodes of Star Trek are dramatic with cathartic resolution. TNG does this the best, right? I think um, that's a perfect way of putting it. I think I think that that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, and I guess my like three B four ish, like you know, like uh, suspicious four. Um, Star Trek is always treading new ground. I think because of that, like you're always going to find something you like if you look back at all of Star Trek, right? All of Star Trek outpaces all of Star Wars in terms of sheer volume of content by a country mile. And so, like, uh, if you don't want to, even if you don't, for some reason, like TNG, and you want something a little bit more intimate, like, then watch uh, DS9, or watch the original series, or watch one of the new, one of the, I'd argue, one of the J.J. Abrams uh, like the the Kelvin timeline movies, I really I think those are really intimate and close. Um, I, I think you raise yeah. a very a very interesting point when you when you talk about you know if you don't like one um, Star Trek show or movie, you know watch another one. And I yeah. think this is probably one of the biggest ways in which maybe fan expectations regarding Star Trek are a little different from Star Wars, in that. Like I, 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 I've said in, in the episode that, that we haven't yet uploaded, but I never really cared for Star Trek Discovery. I did give it a chance. I got through the first two seasons, never really warmed up to it. Season three, from what you've told me, Sam, sounds better. Maybe I'll get around to watching it at some point. I don't know. But with Star Trek, it really doesn't matter whether I like Star Trek Discovery. 
because it has no bearing on my ability to enjoy any other show. And that's the beauty of Star Trek. It's yes, there are, there are threads that kind of continue through, through one show to another. You can kind of see that in enterprise when we learn about kind of, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the crash landing of the, of the Borg and how, um, you know, they sent a signal and, you know, 200, that means like 200 years in the future when the Borg receive it in their part of the galaxy, you know, that's going to lead them to coming into the Alpha Quadrant. Again, there are threads that, that, that can connect, but nothing that really happens in one show affects enjoyment in another show. Um, what, one exception to this would have been Picard, I suppose, if if when we checked back in and on Picard in the new series, it had turned out that, you know, he had sensed Wesley Crusher turning to the dark side and then tried to kill him. But he didn't. See, that's the thing. <laughs> Picard, I see, in Star Trek Picard, is, is, is the same Picard. And, you know, maybe there's a few little differences. You know, uh, I wouldn't expect the performance to be identical. And I have said before... I'm in conversations with you guys that that the world that that they've created in that series is a little bleak. Um, But I think that that has to do with what Sam said, because you have to kind of look at at Picard as the entire series as one episode. So just because there isn't that cathartic resolution in a single episode um, doesn't necessarily make it bad. That's something kind of a, a perspective I'm trying to warm up to right now, because individual episodes on their own can seem kind of bleak. But my, my point being, that's the only show that could have, you know, made me think, oh, everything they did in Next Generation was pointless. I can't watch it anymore. But it wasn't an issue because the Picard I see there is is essentially the same Picard. But outside of that, the series are really on their own. Um, it's not like Star Wars where you were continuing the story and because of what happened in the sequels, it, it kind of seems to make the original six almost, or at least the original trilogy almost kind of pointless because the Empire comes back and Luke's given up. Um, Star Trek doesn't really have have that that issue, and I think that's that's the beauty of it. You like Next Generation? Watch Next Generation. You like Deep Space Nine? Watch Deep Space Nine. You don't like Voyager? Who cares? Because it doesn't, it has no bearing on, on, on Deep Space Nine, really. Um, and so because of that, I think it can maybe temper fan expectations, or at least if it doesn't temper fan expectations, because of course people hear there's a new Star Trek series coming out, they're looking forward to it. They're probably going to be disappointed if it, if it isn't what they want. Um, but you can always say, well, I'll watch the next one that comes out. I think it means that you won't have fans necessarily as upset. If something does, there are, I think there are definitely fans who are upset with the direction that Discovery and, and, and Picard have taken. But I would argue that maybe the reason we don't, it doesn't seem to be quite as prevalent as maybe as it, it does in the Star Wars fandom. And I could be wrong um, because I, I haven't looked on that many, um, you know, forums or that kind of stuff to, 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 to see comments. But when I do come across, you know, comments to articles and stuff like that, it doesn't seem quite as strong as it does in the world of Star Wars. And I think it's because because of that fact that everything is very compartmentalized, it doesn't ruin existing stories for you. Um, I so, will say I, I agree with Matt. I think that the, there are different expectations between the two franchises because Star Wars and Star Trek build their worlds very differently. Uh, Star Wars builds their worlds through characters, whereas Star Trek has the benefit of building 
uh, a world and there just so happens to be certain groups of people that we follow, but the world stays consistent throughout the different shows. And so I think for a lot of, as a fan of Star Trek as well, I'm far more interested in the world that's being built and the political systems that govern it than uh, any given character, really. And it's I, I think that that's the power that Star Trek has that a lot. I think that's one of the things that fans uh, or one of the expectations is the more episodic volume as opposed to the um, epic saga that that star the space opera concept that that Star Wars has embodied so much. So I think that also gives Star Star Trek the edge in doing those smaller stories that I think Star Wars is just breaching right now with their new series, even though the series are kind of like drawn out movies. But I think that that's, that's something that that's one of the expectations of Star Trek that kind of, I think it's one of the reasons that fans uh, didn't react so well to, to uh, disco. Um, and, and I think that's something that I'm personally as a Star Wars fan, I'm curious what you guys are expecting, but I love the political intrigue of Star Trek more than anything. And I love to see these political bodies sort of butt heads and having these internal woes and how the characters react with those political uh, entities. So uh, about Discovery being that way, I think I do agree, but sort of I also disagree because it is sort of dealing with some things that are a little political at times, but, and yes, it's also a little more, or a little less timely because obviously the show is made all at once, you know, whereas with, you know, a network TV, it can be made sporadically and you can like speak to the moment if you want to, you know, that was the big benefit of like sitcoms and the eighties and nineties. And even now when you look at like uh, certain like sitcoms and uh, events, events. Yeah. South park is a perfect example because due to their simple animation style, they can pump out a really relevant episode quite relatively easily. Um, but with like a show like Star Trek, uh, or a, a property like Star Trek, I should say, uh, their or Discovery for me feels much more intimate, mm-hmm. right? Like the cast is a little tighter, right? Like uh, whereas an in TNG always ended up dealing with very big themes, and it's almost like I think I'll bring it back to a Star Wars Star Trek comparison and the epic saga versus the episodic. Um, it's almost like when he was creating it, Gene Roddenberry said, okay, here's my idea when he was like doing his elevator pitch. There's a there's a government, it's called the Federation, and they control the galaxy, and it's all full of scientists and explorers, and they've they've moved beyond racism and sexism and, uh, and all the problems that we currently deal with. And, and this is how we, they deal with new problems, but they can be completely, they can and easily uh, put onto... Uh, society now because we'll always face the similar problems. It's a metaphor. Um, uh, but whereas with Star Wars, George Lucas was like, okay, there's this guy. His name's Luke. His, name, his name's Luke Starkiller. He's uh, he's he's uh, his his dad was a was a good guy. Then he was a bad guy, and he's being trained by this good guy who trained his dad. But his ba- dad still became a bad guy. But now he's a good guy, and and he's trying to redeem his father. And he's got a he's got a twin sister, but he doesn't know it's a sister. And then there's this there's this like bad boy, but he becomes good. But then Leia becomes a little less uh, idealistic, and Luke becomes a little more a little more idealistic, and like he wanted to join the Empire Imperial Academy. I think like my the that sort of di- shifting of views 
between those two properties is what sort of lets the characters breathe. And in Star Trek, because you have this massive backdrop, a fan can go into something really expecting the characters to shine because they don't have to do a lot of world building. There doesn't have to be exposition unless it's like Riker or, uh, you know, Picard saying, uh, we aren't like that anymore. We've got, we've moved beyond these problems. We're the, we're the Federation. God damn it. We don't have, we don't have racism or starvation or economic insecurity because we got rid of money. Uh, and I, and, and that's like very good and, and everything, but we know the Federation's there. So we don't really need to pay attention to like the world building and we can focus on the character. But I'm, I'm curious, how would you say that fans react when their expectations aren't met start, you know, in, in the world of Star Trek? It's like I said, I felt like maybe it wasn't quite um, um, as, as, as severe a reaction when, 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 when expectations aren't met because it's very compartmentalized and every show focuses on different groups of characters pretty much. So um, there's always kind of um, new areas to explore or... Um, uh, you know, each show can appeal to different groups of people. Would you agree that maybe uh, it's less toxic in that way, or am I a bit off base here? I kind of agree with Matt that the there is uh, less visible toxicity in the Star Trek fan base. I don't think that it's not there. I just don't think that, like, as you said, they have these different shows with different characters. I think that the targets are always moving for that toxicity. So I know that I, I firmly believe there is a ton of misogyny in the Star Trek fan base. And this is why they'll take shots at Janeway as captain. And they'll take shots at, um, at uh, what's her face? Um, Michael. Uh, Michael Burnham. And I think that, and I, and I truly believe that it is, that, that it's misogyny. That the, because a case can be made for every captain or commander that they made those decisions based on the situation they're in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that it is there. I think Star Trek has the benefit of those moving targets because you're shifting the focus from place to place in that universe. So they can make like they can't even take shots at the Federation uh, because it's always changing as well. I'll also argue that I would also argue that by the by, like per capita fandom or fan group, I should say, Star Trek has the least amount of toxicity I've seen overtly in a fan in a fan community, and I think that is again, it is very much be, because it or that is because Star Trek is a, as a premise, it is predicated on a society that has abandoned. Or not, not even abandoned. Like choosing to abandon, they have left behind. They have evolved beyond, beyond needing to care about, for no reason other than we we like to, the uh, you know different races, different species, a different uh, you know genders, what have you. And I watched this phenomenal documentary recently called "Woman in Motion" about Nichelle Nichols and her and her journey and like how she was going to fucking quit Star Trek and then she, a conversation with Martin Luther King Jr. because he, she, someone said to her assistant, said to her, someone wants to speak to with you about Star Trek. He's like, uh, she's like, I don't want to. And, he's, and then her assistant says, you're going to want to talk to this guy. And it was fucking Martin Luther King Jr. And, that's, and that conversation is why she stuck around. And yet still, like, one of her only lines in, in many episodes of the original series was, like, uh, like communications 
now open or online or something, but she stayed on the show, but still it should, there really wasn't a lot of, yeah, there was a black person on set, first generational kiss. It's all, you know, a big deal for a lot of people and it is a big deal, but it was still reduced. But in spite of that, you still see Star Trek getting over their problems. You know, when you see like, there's now a Klingon on deck and he's played by a black dude. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, now we're working with Romulans. And I think that's what Discovery is doing quite well. It's sort of continuing that tradition. But I do it's, it, see your point about, uh, you know, there being a little like the misogyny in Star Trek being much more uh, quiet. And then in response to Matt's question, Matt's question, uh, I think there is by the by less toxicity in Star Trek. I think I just I think I just said that. Yeah. You know, Trekkies are more diverse a group than Star Wars and MCU fans. Both are overwhelmingly, I'm not saying there aren't, uh, but they are overwhelmingly more male and more white than the Star Trek community is. Uh, like, I can, if I look at like, anime is something I expect there, I, I expect to see more white guys in the group, but I don't. I don't see nearly as many mm-hmm. white guys amongst anime watchers than I do see like black guys. My personal expectations of Star Trek are diverse because I, I love Discovery. Like, mm-hmm. it has not beaten out TNG, but, like, the back half of season three is probably the best Star Trek I've ever seen. Like, clo- like a close second to, like, my three favorite episodes of TNG, which I have to research. Darmok, um, which we all know, Darmok and Jalata Tanagra is the famous line. The Neutral Zone, where they, like, encounter, a, you know, a pod in cryostasis in the late 20th century. And then The Inner Light. The Inner Light is probably my favorite episode of television of all time. Remind us what that one is. Uh, the inner light. That was the episode where um, they basically encounter like a, like a satellite in deep space above like a planet that's has evidence of civilization, but it cannot, it's like not livable. It's so hot, you know, just like a sort of a natural global warming occurred. I believe if I can remember correctly, they didn't have the technology to create like space travel or fast and light travel to get everyone off the planet but they had the technology to create like a repository for all of the information of their people, of their civilization, and then shoot it into space. And then an interaction. And then over this, over the millennia, that thing, that piece of technology had become sentient, I believe. And it had gained like telepathic abilities. And it, when the enterprise encountered it, it hit, it went into uh, Picard and he lived like 30 years in 27 seconds. Or eight seconds. Um, and it's also he, the one where he has that, like that, that flute. Yeah. He plays that song, which is beautiful. And like, if we're forgot, we may, we may all die, but our, our the history of our people will live on, and we have to be okay with that. Um, and then he he doesn't know how to play it, and he plays the song. And it's it's the greatest episode of television I have ever seen. Still, um, and my expectation is that it's that. Even if it's super sad, it can still mm-hmm. like be really resonant, you know. Like uh, personally, like I came, I'm I, I came to nerddom quite late in my life, but I came through it to it through academia, right? Like I came to video games because Assassin's Creed had history in it, and I love history. And I think that that can that gives me a lot of solace when I think of like the bad shit pe- like politicians do, like. You may not be held to account, but history will hold you to account, if nothing else. And mm-hmm. the idea that our people will be forgotten 
or our people will die off, but our people will not be forgotten. And I think something like that is super resonant to me. And my expectations are Star Trek for that. It's going to be like, it's going to hit me hard. It's going to hit me in the, in, in the feels good, bad, happy, mm-hmm. sad. It's going to hit me in the feels and good Star Trek hits you in the feels. Good Star Wars makes you say, holy shit, that's awesome. Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting. I hate it and I love it. Good Star Trek, I'm fucking <laughs> bawling my eyes out because Michael Burnham is seeing a hologram of Spock and it's fucking Leonard Nimoy from the episodes of TNG he was in. Bro. So it does sound like, based on, on what you were saying there, um, if we were trying to put that into the kind of points that you made at the beginning in terms of what people expect from Star Trek, your main expectation would be there should be optimism in it. Ultimately. Ultimately. No, because we've talked about Star Trek. I think it just needs to be emotionally resonant. That doesn't necessarily mean optimism. But but at least two of the episodes, I can't really speak in the neutral zone because it's been a little while since I've seen it. Darmok and the Inner Light kind of have somewhat of an optimistic idea like you just said the inner light the idea that we will be remembered we will go on and then in the dharma that is but it's it's i think it's despair it's or not, not despair it's tragedy uh, right when you look at the, i think it's a bittersweet optimism when you, when you look at the idea that every every story is either a tragedy or a comedy right in in the by the by of of tales in in typically western mythology everything's either a tragedy or a comedy the inner light is a tragedy. Darmok is a tragedy because the guy dies and they can they still cannot communicate by the end of the episode. The inner light, people are still dead, and Picard is still sad because even though it was a simulation, he still lived those thirty years. But they did, I, I they Sam. did learn to communicate though in, in Darmok. Before he died, they did learn to communicate. Picard oh shit, they did. At the very least, retracted. at the very least, they had an understanding. Yeah, and I think that's what that's what a lot of these episodes. I think that's what you're reaching for, Sam, is that concept of understanding between right. two different groups. And I think that's that's the overall the the overarching theme. Retracted. Um, retracted. And I, I yeah. would say I, that 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 uh, that ability to understand is optimistic at its core. Um, okay. Well, and the neutral zone is also optimistic. I just think it's a good. I just think it's cool how Rikers like how some like yeah. musician, the musician, the jazz musician was like, "What about all my money? What about all my shit?" And he's like, "We don't need that anymore." He's like, "Okay," and the jazz musician just sort of accepts it. I rewatched the episode recently, um, and the real sad one is the woman who's like, she was put into stasis because she had a terrible illness, but she's like, "What about my kids?" She had like three kids and she's like this Midwestern mother and, and Dr. Crusher's like, well, maybe we could find your descendants. Uh, and I think that that's enter it. That's really emotional. That's kind of cool. Right. That's probably one of my favorite things about like media is when there's an immortal character, but then they're a descendant. He's like, I'm talking to my great grandson, but he appears to be 30 years older than I am. Yeah. You know, it, I, I kind of want to want to reframe a little bit of what I said. I guess it's it, it's not simply optimism. It's more specifically, if I wanted to get a better term, I think it's it's this hopefulness. Hopefulness. Um, yes. And I, I think for me, in terms of my expectations, that's what makes good Star Trek. It's not being overwhelmed by the sense of despair, regardless of the situation that you find yourself in, like when the, when Picard and 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 the um. Do we know the race uh, or the species in, in Darmok? Who were they? Not. 
Um, no, I don't think it was established. No. But but regardless, right now, our some of our listeners are just going to be nerd raging and be like, "They were Tregarian, you sons of bitches! Don't you know anything?" Um, <laughs> but, but they manage even in those even in that dark situation where it's just the two of them, and they might die. Yeah. They manage to come to that understanding. They manage um, to to. I mean, ultimately, when Picard comes off the planet, even though. The, um, the 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 lead, the captain of that other ship dies. They've made a connection with those people, mm-hmm. um, and in the the inner light, those the, the the group that 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 communicated that message or or had Picard live that life, they've managed to share their story uh, with Picard so that he can carry um, them on with himself. And it's that kind of hopeless hopefulness, not hopelessness, hopefulness, even in dark circumstances that I think is most important in Star Trek and why I don't like it in discovery when it seemed like the Federation was just going to destroy Kronos because there is no hopefulness in that. It's just bleak. That's why you need to watch Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say, Sam. Matt, I think that hopefulness and that reaching for understanding, you will find that in the end of season three of Discovery. Uh, and I think this is why the end of season three is, it can actually meet so many fan expectations, at least in our circle um, or triangle, uh, because A, you get that hopeful understanding bit, but you get what I love uh, the most about Star Trek, which is that political drama, that political sort of... Um, that word when you when there are those balance checks and balances and whatnot and i think i can't remember who said it but it's a common known statement that the like the real deep sci-fi is always a metaphorical observation on current society and how future technology or future understanding of humanity will have solved that problem or or changed that problem etc so yeah, uh, and that's and I think that's the thing. Star Trek made that so accessible, which is why I love that final scene with uh the with uh, the Federation and the chain in uh, in Discovery. I thought it was it was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. But and that that that's my expectation, which is why I'm so like eager to see a, a Section Thirty One show because we have I've like in the last growing up, I guess what defined politics. Uh, for my coming of age was this horrible political system that was breaking the rules and treating its its citizens its own citizens like crap and all the shadow agencies and now that I've like you know I've I'm watching documentaries I'm seeing how the drug war or the war on drugs was actually just a way to to mutilate black communities and and all this stuff and i can and and that's why i find section 31 so fascinating i want to see the underbelly i know you guys love the hopefulness side of it and i agree with that but every hopeful utopia has that underbelly and i think uh, and i don't know I, I don't think i'm the only one who who wants to see that part of it but this is i think like oh sorry I, sorry no my just my just reaction to you is sort of like if we look at star trek as a macro thing it's sort of like it had its it had its like fits and starts beginning. It had its idealistic adolescence. It had its like uh, like late teenage like edging grit, and now it's going Deep through Space like uh, yeah, and like Deep Space Nine, and maybe even the Kelvin the Kel no the Kelvin timeline in terms of when things have come out. The Enterprise show Picard, 
And now discovery is sort of bringing it into like, okay, now we're going to look at it. It's a real place. There are real things that we never really addressed in anything. There has to be an underbelly. We get hints of it in DS9 um, with a lot of the Ferengi stuff. And we get hints of it in um, some episodes of TNG and Voyager. And Picard sort of puts it into perspective, but we still don't really see the underbelly. And then yeah, with, so with Discovery, Enterprise. With of, yeah, with Enterprise yeah. as well. But in, in season three of Discovery, it's the, the underbelly is the most powerful entity in the galaxy, the Emerald Chain. Yeah. Matt, you were. Um, I was just going to say, kind of building off what Kai said, but this is the beauty of Star Trek because even though I'm not really that psyched for a Section 31 show, they can still make it. And it doesn't even have to like come into my purview. Like it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect my ability to enjoy the next season of Picard or or anything else or Strange New Worlds or anything else they come up with. Where Star Wars, because it's so interconnected and because it's it, it's kind of a saga, um, mm -hmm. when you when you come in when you add something to the universe, it can have a real effect on other parts of the story and affect how you see the story. Um, also, because Star Trek has multiple timelines, man, you can just say to yourself, man, that's, that, that, that was a result of some, some change they caused when they went to the, went to the past. It's not in, in my Star Trek universe th that doesn't really exist. And it's, it's fair enough because how many times have they made alterations to the past? Who knows what changed? And I've been that cause. I've been watching. Um, I've been watching uh, a couple documentaries recently. Of course, I watched Woman in Motion, this Michelle Bickle documentary. I just watched this uh, awesome Challenger documentary, and it gave me the perfect idea for the next Kelvin timeline Star Wars movie, Star Trek movie, where you basically have like the the crew go back to the '80s, which is going to be very much like Star Trek Four or Star Trek Three, was it? Star Trek Four, uh, except Star now, Four. now the present in that film will be the past in this film. Yeah, but like it would be good because you'd go back to the '80s and you basically do like the Challenger. Because it's something I think that people are thinking about a lot as we're going to we're like slowly like space travel now is going to Mars, and I think doing a movie like that with Challenger would be very cool. Because you'd be in a position where there's going to be where you can you're doing the entire movie to set up a scene with everyone saying we can save them though we can save them, and Spock says obviously, and Zachary Quinto as Spock says, but what did the failure of Challenger mean for Earth's space travel? Mm. And it did. It meant so much. And now, especially, we can look back. This could be the first movie where we look back, or you go back to the Apollo and you see, you look at how the failure of the Apollo 11 mission was Apollo 17. I cannot recall. You're not Apollo 11. Apollo 11 was successful. They landed on that. Okay. But then it was one of the later Apollo missions. But my point being, you could really look at like the tragedy of space travel that we can now look at here in 2021. Um, and I think that would be something cool for Star Trek to to explore. And I think like I like it when Star Trek does that. That's why I liked Enterprise a lot. Even the fact that by the by, per capita, Enterprise was not as good as other shows. Its good episodes were awesome. Mm -hmm. When they would deal with like topics and times in our own history, in Earth's history, that were rough, Enterprise felt extremely timely because it's the closest. Thing, with the exception of like the first TNG movie, um, to take a first contact. I don't know if I can't remember if it's the first one, but 
It is second. Um, with the exception of first contact, it's the the thing to take place closest in time to us, and they even time travel to Earth two thousand four. Yeah, a couple of times, and or once or twice, and uh, I I liked it because it sort of puts it into perspective that this is this is supposed to be humanity on Earth centuries in the future, and that's what I, that's probably my favorite thing about Star Trek. Like by the by, now. Uh, Matt brought up the movies, so I got to ask, are we expecting anything, as Star Trek fans, are we expecting a lot from future movies of Star Trek, considering their their uh, track record so far? Or are we really more hopeful about the shows? I'll just say as a note, as a, a, some, a strength of the Kelvin timeline, the, the, the trilogy... A strength of it is that they are not sequential. With the exception of maybe you want to watch the first one first, mm. you could have watched the original series and then you could watch two and three, Into Darkness and Beyond, pretty easily. And I think like that's a strength of it. And I think like maybe continuing that trend, like not picking up from anywhere if they make a fourth or a fifth or a sixth, like years down the road. I would say, <clears throat> I think there is reason to be hopeful and to expect things from the movies because they have had a number of good ones. I mean, unfortunately the next generation cast really only had one good one. Generations is meh and insurrection and nemesis are just, you know, I remember I told because when we first met Kai, you had never seen nemesis. And I was just like, no, no it's, it's garbage. And then I remember you texted me after and you're like, yeah, it's, it's not great <laughs> when you saw it. Like, there's and again, it's one of those situations where we're not crapping on the movies or anything because we don't love them. It's because we just expected more. Yeah, and that's pretty much the the point of this discussion. Especially because Nemesis ultimately became the final next generation film and the final next generation anything until we got Picard. It's 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 kind of a you know it, it isn't the greatest note to leave it on. But there have been mm -hmm. ones, right? Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home. I really like Undiscovered Country. I, I just think uh, to, to make a good Star Trek movie, it needs to be... The problem with Next Generation, I think, and, and the reason that a lot of the movies weren't that great, and even why First Contact, while it is very good, I think still leaves a lot to be desired, is when you had seen... When you'd watched seven years of this show, uh, and you had seen episodes that focused on every member of the cast. When you came time to do a two-hour movie, if your name wasn't Picard or Data, you really didn't get a whole lot of attention in the movie. Uh -huh. um, because there really wasn't enough time. And, and the original series, I think, was better suited to movies because you really only had three main characters to begin with in that show anyways. Uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Um, but Next Generation had seven fully formed characters. And so I think if they if they make movies with movies in mind and with the two hour um, time, you know, time limit, it's not a time limit, but with, with with the fact that movies are generally about two hours in mind, I think you can make a good movie. But turning a TV show with a large cast into a movie, then I wouldn't necessarily have as big um, expectations. Yeah, I, 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 I'm of the same mind. I agree with you. Like, I think what the a strength of the of Star Trek is that they don't have to build towards the big movie event. Mm. And I think like with Discovery, 
I think Discovery is probably, they're not going to make a Discovery movie, right? Streaming has sort of, and like a 10 season, 10 to episode, sorry, a 10 to 13 episode season is both better than a two hour movie, but also better than 25, 42 minute episodes. And essentially where you're lucky if half are as good as the other half. Um, let's make one unbroken story, but Discovery season three, especially it is episodic, mm-hmm. but it also has an arc to the season. And I think like something like that is probably what every other Star Trek show coming out soon is going to look like. No, I was going to say, um, do you think that the people, and this this kind of goes into what Kai mentioned he wanted to talk about, about fans making now, now making, um, the, uh, the, 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 the shows, the media, do you think that if, if we agree that these are fans making this and I don't know, that, that could be up for debate. I don't know if we want to discuss it. Um, but would you say that the fact that discovery changed from the first two years to the third year was a sign that they took into consideration that maybe the first two years didn't necessarily meet those expectations in terms of hopefulness. And then they kind of changed gears and tried to incorporate that into the third season. Just to clarify, um, what I wanted to say, uh, just to clarify what Matt was referring to, what I said, um, I I personally believe that after the original uh, creator releases something, anyone who takes on uh, the the lead creation or creates or makes something with those same characters or that same world, it's official fanfic versus unofficial fanfic at that point, if they are fans of the original property. Go ahead, Sam. Well, like that's actually a really good point. Like the there is an there was a, a Russian author. It's been translated into English. Wrote a fan fiction sequel to Lord of the Rings from the orcs perspective, and it got published, and it's available in English. Wow! And it's like a Mordor is a constitutional monarchy deal going through the industrial industrial revolution. But <laughs> ultimately, my point is that. Uh, with, you know, making a, a Star Trek property, uh, whether it's a movie TV or TV show. Wait, what was your question again, Matt? I just, oh, I totally. Do you think that, that, that the people who are making this, and I, I'm, I'm not sure because I mean, you've got different creators. Oh, shows, right. I don't know if they're all fans or, or what, but aside from that, do you think that the way discovery changed was a sign that they recognized that the first two seasons didn't necessarily meet certain expectations, at least in terms of oh. hopefulness? Well, and so, they incorporated, they incorporated that into season three purposefully. So, yeah, so as the resident discovery expert, I think that their decision to move when the, in the watching of discovery, it feels like the decision to move everything x hundred years into uh, nine hundred and thirty years into the future. That decision came halfway through the production of season two. It felt like because seasons one and two were, or season one and then season two were were single stories. They were not episodic in the slightest, right? It was like very much like you need, it, it was a very bingeable show in that way. It could be watched like in a day because it was sort of an unbroken story. With season three though, and then season two, it's like, it's episodic to an extent and because you have the, the, you have the, the Red Angel and like the, the, the beacons across the galaxy. Uh, but with season three, it sort of let them enter a brave new world. It is a galaxy they know that they don't know. 
It is a federation they recognize, but it is the fed in that it is the federation, but it's not the federation they know. So it opens it up to be that episodic thing. And I think that is why they did it. I think they did it because the blowback, not blowback, but I think the reaction that Matt had is pretty accurate for people who didn't like the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery or people who didn't enjoy it as much as they were hoping at the very least, because it's a different kind of show. Mm-hmm. Very much so. There has even it's even it's different than Picard in a lot of ways. Picard is an unbroken thing, but it's characters we know, mm-hmm. right? You get uh, like uh, Riker and Tr- Troy and Eleven of Nine, Picard and Eleven of Nine Seven. and Data. Sorry, Seven of Nine, Seven of Nine, uh, uh, Data and. Um, and it's sort of calling back to a lot of the, I think I've talked about this in our Star Trek and Optimism episode, but we should upload that soon. It calls back a lot to those episodes. The best one of these episodes is in season one of TNG, where they're addressing Data's personhood and bringing up that moral question that as someone who only has watched as first contact out of the movies, answering those personhood questions around data and androids and AI, very fascinating to me, very interesting, very entertaining. Um, But I think they were trying to balance that that you see in Picard. Picard came after seasons one and two of Discovery, but it's not really to my point. Uh, They're trying to balance that with sensibilities and maybe like a similar size of the setting to the original series. Mm -hmm. Like, I can look past the tech. I can look past the special effects being so much better and so different. Like, they're separated by nearly 60 years. So uh, I can accept that, or 50 years, I should say. I think what it may have taken... If I was a bigger fan, I sense I could sense that... Or I could believe that I would be of a sim- much more similar mind to Matt than Kine. Because... When I, if I'm coming off of like, meh, I'd, maybe I didn't enjoy Enterprise that much. Uh, I liked the the Kelvin timeline movies, but again, uh, they didn't really. They were a little too like dramatic and like big and cinematic. They were they were focused on being made movies, and the, really the last good Star Trek heavy air quotes I had seen was like TNG, DS9, and and, and Voyager. And again, I didn't enjoy Enterprise that much, and then I see Discovery. My expectations were not met. When this is supposed to be the the first original characters in Star Trek since TNG, or since Enterprise, and then TNG as well, and DS9 and Voyager. The first original characters, and it isn't optimistic and hopeful, hopeful and um, like Catherine, like emotionally resonant. Not even as a whole but episode, not even episode by episode, but as a whole, right? Even though, like, the majority of season one, I'd argue, is like that because you're building new characters. You're building a setting from the ground up, right? You're having to give us as viewers investment in Michael. You tie her to Spock, which is good, but you tie her to Spock in such a way that her not being close to him makes a lot of sense. You know, you come up with new characters like Giorgio. Um, 
Great like, character. I, I argue Christopher Pike is a new character because he's so different from a, unlike uh, the Bruce Greenwood depiction. Um, and that, and the one episode, the Brave New World special, um, and uh, uh, Saru and Tilly and the rest of like the the uh, the bridge crew in Discovery, uh, to the point where and Ashford actually, or Ash Tyler, Ashford is from is a Clay Ashford is from as a character from The Expanse. Uh, so when you come out of Discovery, you aren't going to be satisfied because you were expecting something you weren't going to get because maybe you didn't think about the fact that look at TV now, mm -hmm. the show you want isn't going to get made. That happened to me once with Into the Badlands, but um, I got to say one thing I think that's uh, is not a fan expectation, but should be for Star Trek is more kid-friendly stuff. Uh, because I don't know where these new Star Trek fans are coming from, really. Uh, they they got to, like, do, do people wait until there's a certain age and then their parents sit them down and have the Star Trek talk with them? Because I know Star Wars kids are getting into it as soon as they see laser swords and magic. Um, but well, when, say you're, uh, say you're in your, say you're 35 and you've got a couple kids or 45 and you've got a couple kids, whatever. And you're a fan of Star Trek. Your spouse, who's probably as close to the same age as you, met their spouse. And if you're a big enough fan of Star Trek to introduce your fan, your kids to Star Trek, your spouse is probably a fan of Star Trek too. Yeah. Or another oh, fan after you introduce them to it. Uh, you know, Star Trek is there is no comparison. There are more Trek fans than Star Wars fans. There are people who are. People, no one's out here learning Shriwook or Hut, Hutties. People learn Klingon. People learn Vulcan, right? Vulcan sign language is now a kind of sign language. Is it a thing? Because I know Probably. Klingon has its own dictionary and grammatic, uh, grammatic. You know, like Star Trek has had, like Star, maybe not uh, sign language. I may be digressing, but. Sam here. During the editing process, I was referring to the Vulcan salutation. There is, of course, no Vulcan sign language. Back to the show. Star Wars only has staying power so long as Star Wars is coming out. People can always talk about Star Trek. Okay. I Even if it's been years, if the gulf between the start of Discovery and the end of Enterprise. We're not really counting the Kelvins because they're movies made to be movies. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's what 10 or 11 years between the end of uh, Enterprise and the start of Discovery no new Star Trek on TV no new characters no new Star Trek properties uh, no one new to explore new takes again in the Kelvin trilogy with the same characters people were still talking about Star Trek people were still wanting Star Trek what do we do what do we get what do we watch people were still watching TNG but Discovery was coming around around the time I met Matt, and but we didn't talk about Discovery. We talked about TNG all the time. And it had been over. It ended when I was a fucking baby. And I think that's, like, I can expect that. I can expect to be able to talk about it. Because it's good. It's all, you can look at it. Anyone can find anything good, mm -hmm. right? But with Star Trek, it's very easy to enjoy the vast majority of it. If I'm not a fan of Discovery, 
I'm still good. There's going to be, I could enjoy everything else because it's different yeah, enough. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I think that's why section 31 will do well. I think that's why the, sure. the kids show, the cartoon kids show with uh, Academy is going to do well. I think like, is that, other, is that actually, are they doing it? Oh, prodigy or something. There is going to be a star for the Academy one too, but we haven't heard. There's going to be two. There's going to be one. They're both made for kids and one is live action. One is a cartoon. The cartoon one has, Kate Mulgrew yeah. in it, but like, but like the thing about section the section thirty one show is that it's as we talked about, it's treading new ground. We haven't gotten really good underbelly stuff, with the exception of the most recent season of Discovery. But the end of the season three of Discovery establishes it as a show that's going to be a little more episodic. Um, but you know, it's like it's like the original series in the 31st century or the 32nd century, whatever it is. I, I think another thing that helps Star Trek in terms of fan expectations is while there are, you know, books that have been written that take place in different time periods and, and feature the same characters, they were never taken as being on any level of canon. They were always just, you know, all they, they, I, I mean, I'm not going to say they, 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 were, they were fan fiction because they're not, but, but nobody, they, you know, nobody ever said, okay, this is like an official continuation of the story. Whereas mm -hmm. Star Wars, the Legends books were essentially the official continuation of the story until Disney bought bought the, um, you know, the franchise in 2014. So they had that obstacle to overcome, and that a lot of people already had already had an idea of where the story went, and it's kind of something that we talked about last week on the Star Wars and expectations with Star Trek, everybody had accepted that there was really nothing besides the shows. So there was nothing that the new shows really had to um, take the place of. Uh, and, and so, you know, even though they didn't all live up to the expectations that everybody had, uh, there wasn't an alternative history really of, of, of the Star Trek universe that was being told that people had already kind of accepted it as, as continuing the narrative. Hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I've never read a Star Trek novel. I don't think I ever will. Uh, Star Trek comics, on the other hand, I do enjoy those from time to time, uh, depending on the art and, um, and what the story is. And there are a couple of really, really good ones out there. Um, but again, if you came up with a show that completely contradicted it, I have no feelings on it because I know going into reading that comic, this is not an official part of the story. Whereas Heir to the Empire, for the longest time, that was episode seven. And so when, when I see what I got for episode seven, now my expectations really feel like they're not met. Timelines um, are a crucial element in uh, in the expectations of fans uh, regarding the two different uh, series. Like, uh, so uh, so sorry, I'd argue. For example. <laughs> so for example, um, you know, uh, Star, Wars, Star Trek, we can literally just say, okay, this new story takes place 50 years after DS9. Uh, we're in this almost unknown part of the galaxy or universe or whatever. Um, and we're just going to go with it. And oh, also the ship is, partially alive and can transform a little bit but it's okay but it's okay because this is a timeline based on like somebody who went back and from a later time and they did something and it changes so if you don't like it you don't have to accept it like that kind yeah. of thing so yeah well like so 
So with that sort of stuff, I think the strength of it is they the original creator of it always kept hold of Star Trek. So Eugene has it. I believe like who has who has it the moment it was bought up by who paramount 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 has it and they're selling they're like giving the ip and bits and bops to like different streaming services cbs all access over here hbo max over here netflix over here but what they're they're basically saying don't contradict each other none of you none of you get to say ours is canon theirs isn't don't base it in the same place at the exact same time and you're golden right because they could have made episodes six, seven, eight, nine of Star Wars and it not contradict anything. The problem is George Lucas didn't have hold of it. And Disney wanted people to only buy their stuff, right? Because it was financially motivated. Why wouldn't it be? But the strength of Star Trek was basically that we're just as long as we don't make something that openly contradicts an event, we're golden. It's accepted that now that the Kelvin movies are that they're the Kelvin timeline. There's another timeline, right? And you can make movies in that, but we as Paramount say, you can't make a TV show there. TV is for the main timeline. It's for TOS, TNG, Voyager, DS9, Enterprise, Discovery, and Picard, and now Lower Decks. And then section 31 and then the other new shows. So with the timeline stuff, the timeline stuff could have been Disney saving grace, but they chose not to do that. Yes. And, um, and ultimately yet. it, yet. it, it, yet, but it ultimately has screwed them because now they can't claim some stuff that fans love. Oh, we introduced Thrawn in rebels. He's new. No, he's not. Timothy Zahn created him when he wrote hair to the empire. Yeah. You took him and you re you reworked him a little bit, but he's ne no one's ever going to, accept that you you made uh don't ever accept that you took thrawn on for any other reason than you want heir to the empire fans and star trek mm -hmm. isn't going to do that because they always find a way to show you some spock they always find a way to show you some hopeful shit from the future or to throw it back to something relatively timely and or i would love to see a time traveling bit where we get to see original series borg you know, I would love to see, but I would love to see it done with the cheesy effects that they had back in the day. So I'd want to see like, uh, I want them to look like robots from like the 1950s, like beep boop, we are bored and like have a Betamax player on his chest or something. Like I want to see, I want to see funny stuff. I want to see stuff like that. I feel like that would work better as a comic. I would definitely read that comic. And I think that like, if they like, cause you know how they're, you know, they did Batman 66, DC did. Now they're doing Batman 89. You could do like a Star Trek 66 or something. They kind of, well, they kind of did, I guess, with Star Trek, the animated series. That was like a year four. But you could kind of go back into that time, that that original yeah. series universe um, with a comic or something and do that kind of thing. And I would read that. I think that sounds awesome. I don't know how well it would work live action, but it might work in a dream sequence or something. I don't know, like somebody could have a dream or like, or some sort of, I, I just, I don't know if like you could actually make a live action show with that kind of scene and it be taken seriously. I think these days, like a kid with a green screen in their garage could probably pull it off. Oh yeah. And like $50 budget. But I, meant, like, I don't know if it could be an actual episode of a Star Trek show and be taken seriously. 
uh, a parody show would be hilarious. Yeah, you could do parody. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Low. You can do well, Lower Decks is a parody. Lower Decks yeah. like has it, it, it has more in common with like uh, Paradise PD or Family Guy than mm-hmm. it does with like hard. But that doesn't mean it's not good and entertaining and fun and Star Trek. Actually, yeah. I could see somebody, I could see like Boimler or somebody like saying something about like, oh, can you imagine if they'd encountered the Borg back then or something? And then you see like Kai's vision of the Borg and somebody's like, I don't think that doesn't sound right. I don't think that's how it would be. Like, what are you talking about? That's totally how it would look. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think that like Lower Dex is sort of a saving grace of Star Trek as well. Cause it's like, Star Trek never had levity. Like there were moments yeah. of comedy throughout certain episodes of shows, but I think Lower Decks is a cool moment of levity. And the fact that we only got like ten episodes, like you could make thirty episodes of that a year until the end of time, and I would love all of it. And I think like they, I'm sorry, CBS All Access, you have the money to make a show that comes out as often as like fucking Family Guy comes out with like thirty plus episodes over twelve seasons. Like, do it. Like, what's stopping you? It's there. It's you know, Star Trek. Supply and demand, dude. They can't. They can't saturate the market with something just because it's it hits, it slaps. You know. And I'm glad they're not doing that. They're not flooding. Hard the- disagree. I want. I want an. Epi- I want the Mandalorian following every moment of his waking and unwaking life. <laughs> I want eight eight episodes every eight episodes. So there's sixteen episodes, and then every eight episodes of each 24-hour season, because I want one episode a day, eight episodes is just him sleeping. I'm cool with that. Okay, so it's basically Star Wars 24, but literally 24. And literally yeah. we're going to show him doing all the stuff, brushing his teeth. I like, I want Pedro Pascal to be paid billions of dollars just to do that. <laughs> John Favreau producing Dave Filoni, or Dave Filoni producing John Favreau behind the camera. So, so bringing it back to Star Trek, I got to say one of the best Star Trek series that doesn't get enough credit is the Orville, which is a love letter to Star Trek. Um, and have you guys watched, watched it? it? Yes. I, yes. At this point, you've talked about it enough that I think I'll probably start watching it. And it's- Second season knocks it out of the park. It had me on edge all episodes and... It really is a love letter to Star Trek. It's such a beautiful... So is it a comedy? Or is it... Yes, but I that's initially how they wanted it to be. But yeah. they've embraced, and I think this is why, this is Takai's point about the second season being better. They've embraced it as being like, no, this is like a legitimate, like, you know, kind of sci-fi show. We're not leaning as heavily into that kind of humor or family guy kind of kind of vibe. No, this is there a real show. show. There's still moments, yes, but I think they've embraced is the it, science fiction element, making it a legitimate kind of you've both seen that that moment where the the villain on the on the camera is just sort of like off to the side and they're all like could you take a step to the left? And he's like what what? He's like, yeah, you're off to the side. It's just really weird. And I love moments like that, but there are some really Dark. There's some dark, dark shit that comes up later on in the in the series that I is it, enjoy. Is it true that it was originally like a treatment for a Star Trek show? Is that true? I haven't heard that. I, neither okay. have I. I don't think it would be. Okay, I just wanted to be sure because, like, obviously that's how like a show like Andromeda, not Andromeda, yeah, Andromeda. Uh, also, right? um, also Deep Space Nine, Babylon Five was uh, was the Babylon Five. Yeah, that's it. so. 
which would have been amazing as a Star Trek show. Whatever, never seen it. Um, no, no, you. Yeah. No, that's we're gonna. I, get- I I have recently started. I'm like three episodes in. I just started watching Stargate, and that's a different show. But I digress. Totally different beast. All Canadian actors. I liked all the Canadian actors. All right, guys. Final thoughts on Star Trek expectations. Ultimately, the hopefulness. I think like we didn't talk about techno babble, so I'm offended. But I think like portraying unrealistic science fiction is really fun because I think like Star Wars doesn't. It's not Star Wars is like space magic. It's not science mm-hmm. fiction. Uh, like and gritty, realistic sci-fi is good, but you can get it from other shows, right? You get it from The Expanse. There's like nine books, and they're making the sixth season has just begun production after the conclusion of the fifth. And sixth season is the final season, but they've said they're very dedicated to the IP, and there's like so many books and events they haven't adapted in the show. So it's like there's other things they can do, and it's it, that is super realistic science fiction. With Star Trek, God, I think my final thoughts are just like, I expect it to hit to in the fields. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't very good Star Trek. You know, Star Trek Into Darkness, the second Kelvin movie, is probably the least favorite Star Trek thing I've ever seen. Because there's no hopefulness. It's just a it's just a con remake with Benedict Cumberbatch. Beyond yeah. you get that, right? In the original in Star Trek, the first Star Trek movie with J.J. Abrams, you get that. You get like, oh, how did how did Picard and Spock become friends, even though they're different? And then we layer in the fact that Spock's lost his people, which is something that obviously didn't happen in the original in the original series, and they still become like really close, like brothers and brothers in arms, comrades. And then you're sort of putting Chekhov and Sulu and Uhura onto a, onto a higher level, uh, to, closer to Bones, Spock, and uh, Kirk. Um, and then Beyond was, of course, phenomenal. Uh, it's the best of the three. Uh, and, like, how they reframed uh, Anton Yeltsin's Chekhov. After, even after he died, they had, like, the, the footage to put him into a position where he got more screen time, right? Because it was his last Star Trek movie. And they wouldn't be recasting it, obviously. So I expect it to just sort of hit me and, like, be good and sort of, I come out of it feeling, like, emotionally satisfied, you know? Like, I can come out of a Marvel, I came out of Endgame with my adrenaline, like, at the top of my brain, right? It was emotionally resonant as well. And it, that, even after the after the adrenaline had faded, I was still thinking about like, fuck man, Tony's dead. That hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Hopefulness, uh, emotionally resonant. Um, I, I think, I think the fact that I, I think the lack of emotional resonance there was after I would finish an episode of discovery is, is largely the reason I stopped watching it. I would, I would finish watching it and I would just kind of be like, I, I don't, I don't feel much of anything. That just, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not coming away with this um, with, with the same kind of feelings I would come away from episodes of Next Generation uh, with. Um, again, that could change if I if, if and when I watch season three. But um, that just it just speaks to, to Sam's point. Um, 
just what, what you come away with, I think, is, is a big part of what makes Star Trek good, what makes good Star Trek. Um, and for me, yeah, that's, that, that's hopefulness. But the beauty of Star Trek is because you have so many different series and so many different groups of characters and different timelines that if something doesn't speak to you, that's okay because it really shouldn't affect your enjoyment of another aspect of Star Trek. Yeah, I totally am the opposite with you guys right now. Wow. Uh, I, I want my emotional feels from my Star Wars. I want that to be the spiritual side to things. I love the dirty politics of Star Trek. I love because I think it, it, it uh, resonates more with the world for me like the, the, the world building aspect of it. Um, Star Trek is more world focused for me than it is character focused. Whereas Star Wars, I'm, I'm more invested in certain characters and their emotional arcs than, than I would be in, in Star Trek. So for me, I want to see more of those uh, big political moments in, in the series and any series that comes up. So, uh, and like ethical, you know, futuristic, science ethical debates like the whole data is data a person thing like i want to see more of that and i think star trek has a better forum for or is a better forum for discussing those ideas um and even current issues in a in that traditional sci-fi sense so that's what i'm i'm really hoping for is is, is those sort of uh philosophical future philosophical Future political philosophy. That is what I want. That is my expectation of Star Trek. You've been listening to the Harmonica Brothers Variety Show. Mm. I'm Sam. Matt. And Kyle. Thanks for tuning in.